This is the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. Boundaries or burnout, you make the choice. Here's your host, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Sean Patton on the line. Sean, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing today, Michael? I am awesome. You've got an incredible story and you're doing some incredible work uh, around servant leadership. And oh, by the way, you happen to be a Green Beret at some point in your life, amongst other things. So tell us a little bit about your backstory and, and how you got into leadership. Absolutely. So uh, well, thank you for having me on, on this podcast. I'm very excited uh, about this opportunity. Uh, well, really almost as long as I can remember uh, since childhood uh, through, you know, junior high, high school, uh, always have been pulled toward uh, leadership and sort of the power of people and the uh, of human potential. And I was sort of found myself just in charge of stuff. <laughs> just when a group of people got together, it always end up where I just end up kind of, um, you know, moving toward the front and, and being comfortable in that position. And then, um, out of, you know, out of that time, I applied and, and went to the uh, United States Military Academy at West Point, which I'm going to talk about an intense leadership laboratory um, of a college experience. And so I was there for four years. Um, and afterward, uh, as an officer, I, be, I went into the infantry, which is my first choice. Uh, again, just really drawn toward uh, the leading of, of people and accomplishing tough tasks. And, uh, you know, went through all the training, airborne school, ranger school, all that stuff, and went to the 101st Airborne Division. I was lucky enough to get two commands there. I was an infantry rifle platoon leader and then a scout and sniper platoon leader, uh, including 14 months uh, in Iraq in 07 and 08. I came back, went to Special Forces Assessment and Selection, was selected uh, after about two years of training uh, there. Uh, happened to come back to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, which is about 45 minutes uh, northwest of Nashville, Tennessee. So I kind of came back, what, what is now my home, uh, to 5th Special Forces Group, which uh, specializes in the Middle East and Southwest Asia. So it's a busy, busy group. And uh, was lucky to get two commands there. Uh, you know, showed up and six weeks after I, I got there, uh, I was on the Afghan-Pakistan border with my team uh, of 10 to 12 guys. And and some attachments, you know, you know, I was there for about eight or nine months, uh, came back, actually got a chance for a second command there, went to a specialty team and underwater infiltration combat dive detachment, led that, and uh, came up on my 10 years as an officer and kind of had a choice to make at that point. Do you, do you keep going for the 20 and the retirement and the senior officer positions or not? And what I kind of found was, you know, I had really been pushed over the 14 years uh, as, as a person, um, intellectually, professionally, as a leader, just thrown into these crazy situations and really pushed hard. Um, and I didn't see that moving forward. And I had always admired entrepreneurs. I always admired people who, you know, bet on themselves, kind of went out there without a safety net and, and made things happen. I said, well, if, I'm, if I've just been drawn to this, uh, I need to do it now before uh, I get too worn down by the military uh, and why well, I still have this drive. So I, I knew that I wanted to, you know, share some of the lessons from the military uh, and the leadership that I had been, you know, I feel like I had a lifetime of leadership experience kind of crammed into me over those 14 years, but I didn't want to, I don't want to upset anyone or, you know, but just my opinion, I didn't want to be the military guy who gets out and goes to the private sector and says, let me tell you how to lead your company. <laughs> 
I think we see that uh, sometimes too much. Um, I knew I had more to learn. And so I, I told my, myself, even though, you know, my real passion was, uh, I knew I wanted to get in leadership speaking and coaching and, and all that. Uh, I needed to do two things. So the first was I needed a formal business education. And so I went and got my MBA from UNC Chapel Hill. And I needed to start a company from scratch and make it profitable. <laughs> and I figure in the, I think in the business world, even if you talk to, you know, Fortune 500 CEOs, they'll, they'll they, they sort of look at entrepreneurs and that startup world is everyone sort of is in awe of, of that because everyone that's in business knows how hard that is. So uh, I knew I needed to kind of put myself through that crucible. So I started my first company and worked really hard for a few years and you know what, it didn't work. Uh, and, uh, so I had a, I got with a different group of partners. We started a martial arts company doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which I practice in I'm a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, compete regularly. And um, we started our own company. And you know what? Now we have three locations throughout the Nashville area. It's the fastest growing martial arts company in the state of Tennessee. And we reached profitability in 18 months. And um, so I, I sort of checked the boxes and got the, got my company in a place where uh, I had built up enough uh, sort of capacity underneath me to really chase my dream and launched Sean Patton Presents at the end of 2019. And it's gone really well. And I'm really excited about the direction uh, that, that this company's heading and, and my opportunity to share sort of lessons learned. Well, it's an incredible journey. And I think too, one of the things that stands out is you, you went at that first you know, kick at the can with the entrepreneur world and it didn't work out and you didn't throw in the towel and say, well, that didn't work and I'm not going to do this again. But you, you went out and you said, okay, you know, we found out that this didn't work. Okay. What did work if anything? And, and you found, like you said, some new business partners. And from there you found something that was a passion of yours obviously, and, and the, the partners as well, uh, and created something where it, it would create the demand. You know, and I said, the, to be profitable for a launch in that short period of time is definitely rare. So I, I want to make sure that, you know, that the audience is aware of that, that 18 months is a pretty quick turnaround for an organization. And, uh, you know, one thing, you know, we'll obviously dive into other things, but I'm curious, you know, what were some of the things that your team did uh, to make sure that being profitable and, and that short period of time became a reality? So I did a lot of soul searching, a lot of introspection, uh, you know, as my, my first company was actually a, a franchise of kind of a fitness uh, martial arts hybrid franchise. And I did some, some soul searching. I sat down and it was, I'll tell you what, that was one of the hardest things. I'm, I'm not someone who uh, likes to lose, <laughs> who likes to fail and d does very often. And so, you know, my now wife, uh, girlfriend, fiance during that time, you know, will tell you I, for the first time in my life, I had uh, multiple uh, anxiety and panic attacks. I pushed myself so hard that I, I got this um, like flesh eating disease that I had to go to the hospital for um, and went through a couple other medical things. And, you know, I'd spent 22 months in combat and never had, <laughs> never had that. So anyone who, you know, doesn't understand what the entrepreneurial journey really is, it, it is a load on you and it is constant, but I, you know, I ended up writing a, a paper to myself, sort of a white paper to myself on lessons learned 
and mistakes I had made um, so that I could refer back to those and make sure I didn't repeat those. And, you know, I think one of the biggest ones with this new company was the, the focus, not just on the revenue side of the equation, but on starting as small as possible with and keep the expenses uh, as small as possible. And as soon as you can make those little failures early, right? Like don't, at, at my first business, it was everything has to be perfect. Everything has to be the best. Everything I have to have this team and I'm gonna do all this stuff. Uh, instead of coming in and saying, let's, let's start really small and let's try a few things and see what works and build, build from there. And you know what, when you first start out, you know, let's find good enough. <laughs> let's not, let's not make everything the biggest, the best, the most expensive, the coolest. Let's, let's just get it good enough and let's run some cycles and let's see what works and really learn uh, and, and start small and then build on that and really have patience. And that's something that I still personally just struggle with. I want, you know, I want to just go, 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 do everything right now, you know, make it the best. Let's get there. If you have an idea, let's execute uh, and move on to the next thing. And the world just doesn't work like that. Business doesn't work like that. It's going to go at its own pace. And um, so I had to learn some patience and I, and I really learned the value of starting small and finding good enough and then just running the cycle of success and failure, just many tests to, to build a stronger foundation uh, for our company. That's great advice in there. And I, I particularly like the fail early uh, component because a lot of people are just absolutely allergic to failure. Uh, the type A personalities, you know, your, your military background, you know, failure really isn't a great option to choose uh, yeah. because depending, especially if you are in, you know, and typically you could be in some really dangerous situations in the places that you served would fall under the category of dangerous places. And, <laughs> and if you're like, well, you know, if we don't do this, that's fine. Well, if you don't do that, then well, um, yeah, the outcome of that is, can be catastrophic to a whole lot of people, you know? And so, you know, in, in business, you know, failure hopefully isn't a life or death matter, but if you're going to make some mistakes, it's, it's good to figure out those things early in the process, because once you get moving along, um, sometimes if you have a failure, it could be catastrophic to your organization, depending on how, how big it is and, and what's going on. Um, and being a perfectionist, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, a little bit familiar with that myself and it's it, it for me it got to the point what well, you know what good enough it's like yeah even right down to you know my podcast host you know, I, I you know started off with an organization that is great you know a wonderful organization and all the bells and whistles I mean it was you know the, the top-notch kind of thing but I'm looking at it going I don't use a lot of the things that they offer and this other organization offers what I need. So I made a switch. And, you know, of course, you know, from a cost standpoint, you know, it, it kept my costs low and you, you were smart, you know, do, do things small, just start, test it. Okay. Does this work? Does this look like it's going to gain traction? Great. Okay. And then you build momentum from those things and you also figure out, okay, is this something that it can scale or is this going to be exactly where it is? And if that's going to be the case, then all right, what else can I do to 
add value to this product or service or entity that I'm running. And, and again, it's, it's a lot of trial. It's, it's tedious. Um, patience exactly like you said is, uh, you know, not many people's virtues and it's difficult when, uh, when you've transitioned from a situation where when you, we hear precise and military, those are two words that go hand in hand. So precise in business, I, I wish it was that way, but um, as you've discovered, not so much. It's, it's got a little bit more of the human element to it and red tape and contract reviews and um, email being slow or who knows what else goes on. It's like, you know, it's the equivalent of, okay, you know, we're going to launch this attack on this base and the person that's you know, required to, you know, make sure that you have the right arsenal in place to do it you know, says, you know, I'm sick today. Can we do it tomorrow? And it's like, no, it's like, we, we can't, but in, in business, you run into that all the time and you go, Oh, okay. Well, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a transition for sure, but you seem to have navigated it well. Well, like I said, and, 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 navigate it you know like it's funny because in jujitsu uh you know when i when i teach some of my students and it it, it really was a lot of life lessons in there the same where it is in entrepreneurship and everything else and i told them the same thing look in life just like jujitsu that you, you got to learn you, you learn by trying new things and when you try new things and get outside your comfort zone they're not going to work at first <laughs> you know parts of it are going to work and parts other and you're going to have to adjust and uh i definitely had to you know kind of learn that the hard way. And like you said, a lot of those other variables that are in business, the human component, um, you know, the lack of training, you know, even in the military, it's interesting to think about, but you know, in the infantry, when we would get a brand new private, right? Like the, the brand new 18 year old kid uh, with maybe a high school education, maybe not. And he's responsible for nothing but his rifle and himself, right? Just be in the right place, the right time, right uniform with your rifle. And you're, you're pretty much a good private in the infantry. But even before that, before that private who really, you know, in, in, in the unit's mind knows nothing, has had almost a year of training to do his job. <laughs> a specific training from basic training to advanced training to, you know, all these other skills, just to show up and be in charge of nothing but his rifle for a few years. And in business, you know, we, people come out with general education, these other things, and, and they show up with maybe no, no formal training in what you're asking them to do. And you have to train them. They just have the potential. And that really changes, thing in the mili changes things in the military um, as where, you know, we get a new Green Beret to our team. And on average, they've got eight or nine years of experience in the military doing their jobs. They already have that. So, you know, everyone on, on a special forces team is almost like a team of high-powered executives all in a group together. And when you're building a company, you're having people from all these different backgrounds, all these different viewpoints and, you know, and, and priorities. And so to, to navigate those waters is, has been an interesting test in, you know, seven, 60, 70% of the stuff that made me successful as a leader in the military has translated beautifully and has added to the private sector businesses. And I had to learn that that there's 30 or 40% that just doesn't translate. And so I had to learn different skills, uh, different ways to communicate um, and, in order to, you know, be successful in the private sector. And, you know, I'm a, I've got out of the military uh, five years ago next month. So it's taken me about five years of just grinding and pushing myself to, uh, to learn some of these hard lessons. And I'm just excited now to be able to share this unique perspective I have with 
leaders in, in different industries. Yeah. And I think that's a good segue into the servant leadership side of things because your experience that you had in the armed forces, as far as the leadership skills and techniques, and you said 60%, 60 to 70% of what you do, you know, came from that training. So you, you flip it on the other side where you're working with a CEO that's, or a new CEO, let's say, and they're, you know, in the first couple of years in their role, they didn't have the military training. So you coming in and, and showing them different thoughts and techniques and how to approach things and how to see things uh, differently than, you know, what their MBA may have taught them or anything like that is such a unique perspective and it gives them uh, all kinds of different uh, experiences that uh, quite frankly, they wouldn't get anywhere else. Yeah, that's, and that's what I've, I've really found, you know, I try to, when I, just again, the, the military is so unique, especially in some of the elite units and training I had, um, you know, for example, U.S. Army Ranger School, one of the toughest, you know, leadership programs in the military. Um, and as I went through, you know, that you start out with four hours of sleep a night and two meals a day, and it just goes down from there and you're there for months and you have to lead people in these, these very, you know, harsh conditions and you're putting through this. And I was, you're a longer story than we have time for, for this podcast. But if you go straight through, which is only about 18% of the people and you don't recycle certain portions of it, um, it's about 60 days. Well, I was there for five months. So I, I learned a lot and, and was put through the ringer. And, you know, when you do a 10 day field problem, that's 24, 24 hours a day for, for 10 days of just intensity, 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 like lessons and push and, you know, after action reviews and mistakes and learning again, you know, how many nine to five days in a cubicle as a, in your twenties at a business is that worth? Like how many leadership lessons, you know, it, it almost is a whole, a couple of years of that in the military is almost 20 years uh, of leadership lessons just because you can't, you know, you can't put your, your junior partners of your firm, you know, through that, right. Just legally you can't. And so it does sort of compress the timeline and compress that learning curve and teach you some lessons in, in some of the most extreme situations that then you can relate and, and bring those lessons to someone who hasn't, you know, been put through uh, those sort of unique challenges. Yeah. It's, again, the perspective is so dramatically different, but it, when applied, it, it just makes a huge amount of difference because I've, I've had the fortune to work with several people. I've had family and friends that have served in the armed forces and I've worked for people that uh, came from a military background. And, you know, one of the things that jumped out at me right away um, as silly as this sounds is there wasn't any type of agenda with those individuals. They weren't a sociopath or a narcissist or codependent or any of these other, you know, mental health types of challenges. When they told you something, you knew where they were coming from. It was clear. It was like, literally, it's like, okay, here's, here's the map of the battleground. Here's all the pieces. This is what I need to do as part of the situation. So they would share with me, okay, this is the big picture. You don't have to focus on that. Kind of going back to your private example. It's like, I need you to do this component of it. 
And if you do that component, everything else will flow. It's in a way kind of like a Henry Ford assembly line. It's like, like somebody at the front, they do their role right. By the end of the assembly line, you're going to have the outcome that you want, which is going to be a vehicle that w won't fall apart when you drive it off the, off the assembly line, hopefully. Uh, but it's, you know, it's a kind of a, a strange example. But again, I, I see the different synergies between a lot of different things. And that's always been my experience with working with anybody um, with, you know, background in the armed forces is, you know, the clarity of things and the communication. I know that's one of the things you work with too, is, you know, the communication thing is you need communication to be spot on and clear because if someone misinterprets something that was said in, in a military setting, it's life or death. You know, in an office, it's like, oh, well, we sent we sent the wrong PowerPoint presentation. Okay, well, let's go fix that. Well, you can say, okay, we're going there. And wait a minute, they said, I thought we were going there. And next thing you know, you're you're surrounded uh, by the enemy, and you're going, hmm. Well, now didn't have this planned out, but we have a plan for this in case this ever happens. So here we go. Uh, but you know, it's again, it's one of those things where I think it's it's crucial. So, uh, I'm, you know, we'll we'll jump in the communication side of things real quick. Uh, what are some of the things you discover when you're working with these leaders that um, you know aren't necessarily used to um, you know having exposure to like the military type of experience? And you know, what are some things you notice different in you know the the private sector versus, you know, what you experienced during your time serving our country? So that's a really good question. Um, you know, the, one of the main differences is that there in the military, there are almost, you know, standard operating procedures for everything. So you sort of have this, you know, you have a common jargon, you know, we say words mean means thing words mean things right and in the military that's it's so literal like if, if you say you know we're going to conduct a raid I can you can open a field manual and go to it and there's a definition that's common among everyone in the army that this is what a raid means right or this is what an envelopment means or you know every word literally means something and everyone is on the same page of what that implies and you also have, you know, certain formats for an operations order or a warning order or a mission statement or all these other uh, different actions that happen between different units or different people. There's almost always, everyone has a set format and an expectation of what's going to be said, what that means, and and how to immediately apply that. And on the civilian side, that is just not the case, right? So they're almost, that, that's one of the major issues I see when I, when I work with, you know, other clients or companies is communication is almost always a pro it's almost always a problem. And if there is a problem, it's almost always communication. So, you know, one of the, one of the jokes I, I, I tell is, you know, my favorite statistic that I completely made up is that 95% of all business task failures our miscommunication and it probably depends on the organization and and the complexity of what they're doing and the level of the, the people involved but whether that's a little higher or a little lower but in general if we're talking about a above average company or a good company or a good organization or a you know at least a competent leader it's not too often that you you know ask a peer or ask um, a subordinate or ask someone in your organization to do something and then you know, you ask, uh, you ask Peter to 
like you said, you know, hey, I need you to put together this this PowerPoint on these reports and get back these numbers to me uh, as soon as you can. Well, it's not most of the time. Let's have some faith that Peter didn't say, yes, got it. Turn around and just be like, screw that. <laughs> I, I, I want to do a bad job. I don't care. Right. Like, I, I don't think that's that's rarely the case. And if that's rarely the case, then we know that the issue is the intent and the effect that you're trying to achieve through that communication came out of, you know, from your brain, by the time it came out of your brain and it went through your mouth and you said it to him and it went into his ear and went to his brain and he thought about it, those are now not the same thing. And so what I've done is uh, I try to get my clients to be as crystal clear with their communication as possible. And I feel like it solves so many problems within the organization. And so for an example, uh, I, I took some different components of military doctrine and came out with what I call the five Bravo components, components of an order. So it sounds pretty military and I, and I understand that, but in reality, uh, it's just, it's very clear and concise for that reason. So somebody hears an order, like giving someone an order and, and, you know, that can sound very heady, very militaristic, but that could literally, it doesn't even have to be at work. That could be just communicating with your kids, right? It could be asking, you know, asking your, your partner to pick up uh, some groceries for dinner, right? It, those, all those things are orders. It's just communicating something that you want out of something, someone else. And anytime you do that, uh, I try to give them a framework to work with because I, I feel like it's so much easier to start uh, very specific and very rigid and sort of figure that out yourself. And then once you sort of master the basics, you master the foundation, you master uh, this format, then you can have a little more freedom to, to play within that. And so it's, it's, I said it's five Bravo. So there's five components plus, plus a B at the end. So it's task, purpose, intent, end state, timeline, back brief. So what I mean by that is, the first is task. So that's the what, you know, what do you want to have done? And again, in the military, we have tactical tasks and operational tasks and things mean specific things, but you know, depending on what you're asking someone to do, that could be something very specific or, you know, for more complex tasks, that might be a, a, a little broader, a little broader ask. So, but task is usually pretty simple. And, you know, we could say something like, Hey, I need you to get me that, uh, that report, you know, be to report on our, uh, our vendors lead times or something like that. And the next is purpose. So purpose is the why. So for sometimes the right purpose, you know, it can be hard, hard to articulate, but you really want to speak in terms of effects and you really want to speak in terms of what, why are you doing this? What's it going to accomplish? So for example, use your PowerPoint example. You might say, I need this report in PowerPoint because I need to, uh, I need this report so I can report back to, you know, my boss on vendor lead times and, you know, quality of work. Well, if you tell them the why, instead of just saying, do this PowerPoint, if you say, I just need a presentation, well, maybe something happens and you know what, PowerPoint isn't going to work. Well, he can still accomplish your purpose because you empowered him with the knowledge of what effects you want. And maybe he, maybe he does it in PDF, right? Or maybe he does it in, you know, 
uh, on a Mac. And so it's a little different format, but he can still accomplish what you're asking him to accomplish because you gave him the real reason of why you want that done. And the next is intent. And so intent for a simple action could be almost nothing or nothing, but for a big, uh, a big operation or uh, a big project within your company, intent could be the biggest part. And so intent is going to expand on purpose and it's going to include if, if purpose is the effects within your organization and what you want to accomplish directly, what about the effects that happen outside of your organization? How does this impact uh, the divisions and the groups and organizations to your left and right? How does this impact your vendors? How does it impact someone you're working for? Uh, you know, and also the, you know, the secondary and tertiary effects of this. And then the other ones are going to be resources available. Hey, I'm going to, uh, if, if you need extra help, I've got, you know, Sally and Bob are over here and they're working on something, but it's not as important as this. So if you need extra help, let me know. I'll give them to you. Right. Or if you need more data on this, let me know. I'm, I'll, I'll invite you to the Google drive, you know, whatever you're going to give them for resources constraints. Right. And that could be a time limit. Um, it could be a scope. It could be people. Hey, I need you to do this, but everybody's busy. So it's just you. So, you know, don't bother, you know, Sally, even though you usually can, because she's busy on something else. Um, and then, you know, specific requirements. So, Hey, I, that would be like a, how I need you to do it a certain way. Hey, you have to do it in PowerPoint because that's the only, that's the only format that's going to work for this presentation. And that's important to let them know, right? If you're telling them I just need a presentation and you just mention PowerPoint, but you don't specifically say it has to be in PowerPoint or it's not going to be successful, then you could end up with that miscommunication you talked about. The next is in-state. So in-state is when this whole thing's done, when we've closed the chapter, everything's done, the entire process is complete, what's it look like? You know, what, what's the final, the final uh, uh, configuration or the final effect that you want to accomplish when this whole thing's done. And you know, the final, uh, before we get to the B, the final part is timeline. And this is the one that I tell you, I see messed up the most all the time, right? Because we say things like, uh, I forgot the guy's name now, Peter, <laughs> right? Peter with his PowerPoint. Uh, when you get, uh, I need you to do this as soon as possible. And then in two hours, it's not on our desk. And we're like, what the heck, Peter? I said, as soon as possible. He's like, yeah, it's, I, it wasn't possible. <laughs> right. Or as soon as you get a chance. And then the next day you come, you come into work and it's on your desk. And you're like, what the heck? He's like, I haven't had a chance. So if you, if you don't give someone a specific date, time, you know, location, you know, a timeline for when you want this thing done. And by the way, what about intermediate timelines? You know, if it's a large project, you have to have certain points turned in at certain, uh, or certain, you know, phases or parts of the project that you need to see. You need to give them those and that needs to be super specific because my idea of when you get a chance and his idea of when you get a chance could be completely different and that could lead to miscommunications. And then the final one, the, the Bravo part is the back brief. And this can be the most awkward for some people to get used to. But if you just kind of tell your people outright, look, I'm going to do this and it might seem weird, but I'll tell you what it, it is so critical. And that back brief is just saying, when you get through your all five, right? Task, purpose, intent, end state timeline. And then you say, all right, Peter, what did I ask you to do? And then he has to tell you back what he plans on doing. And I'll tell you what, almost every time I do that, something's wrong. 
right? Something's missing. Uh, I, for, I, I left something out and didn't tell him something that's important. He misconstrued something that I said. He forgot to write something out. Something wasn't aligned perfectly. But then you can correct those things. And so when I have, you know, clients and organizations that sort of implement this five Bravo process, it solves so many problems, simple problems and big problems. And the real beauty of it, when I work one-on-one -on -one with clients and leaders, the real beauty is, you know, when you do this, now you can actually, the, 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 if something goes wrong, well, now it's binary, right? Because it's only one of two things. If you, if, if you think through and you think, oh man, Peter didn't get me that presentation the way he was supposed to. Well, before you get on Peter, let's think, all right, did I give him everything? Boom, boom, boom. Oh, I forgot to tell him this part. That's on you then, right? That's on me as the leader that I didn't communicate effectively. That's a, that's a learning opportunity, opportunity for me to fix that. But if I think back and think, yep, I gave them all of those components. I got the back brief and he still didn't meet the expectation. Well, now it's only one of two things. Either one, Peter needs more training to be able to do what I, I need him to do in the organization. All right, let's set up some training for Peter. Let's get him where he needs to be. Or two, Peter's not capable of doing what I need him to do in this organization and, and he's got to go. But if you don't communicate effectively with this 5B process or your own process includes basically all these things, but I think this is the best one I've seen and I've developed over the last you know, 10 years, then you can't even make that assessment. <laughs> then you just have miscommunication flying around. You don't know if it's actual incompetence, actual extra training, if you need more resources. You, you can't even make that assessment as the leader because you haven't fixed communication first. And so that's how I've come to address what I see as, you know, the, the biggest problem inside of not just, you know, private sector business, but, you know, nonprofit, education, uh, policy, <laughs> military, you can name almost any organization. And I think you'll almost, you, you'll look at it and almost to a T, the vast majority of their untapped potential comes from miscommunication. That is so much leadership gold. It's, it's amazing. And I agree. Every organization struggles with this, no matter how big or how small. And if they could get the communication set right, it would make such a huge difference for both internal and external deliveries of their products and services. And believe me, we, we, the products and services we get, we think we have it good now. It'd be absolutely amazing once all of that communication gets you know, right-sided to be what it's supposed to be. So Sean, I've loved this conversation today. Where can people find out more about you and this awesome, awesome work you're doing? Well, yeah, thank you so much. This has been great. Uh, so I'm under Sean Patton Presents pretty much everywhere. So uh, you can find me on LinkedIn just under my name, Sean Patton. That's S-E-A-N and then Patton, P-A-T-T-O-N. But uh, you can go to seanpattonpresents.com. Uh, I'm on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, all under that. And uh, right now, you know, I'm, it's been really great since I just launched. I already have a couple clients I'm working with. And just like I think how this, you know, this coaching business thing works, it had a couple first small speaking gigs and it went well. They, you know, said, hey, can you, we've got a division, a division meeting in a couple of weeks. Can you do that? turn around, do that. And now more meetings about putting together some uh, leadership workshops and maybe some one-on-one -on -one coaching. And I'm just really excited about the future. I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to be in a position to do what I'm passionate about. And I'm just really driven by exactly what you talked about, which was, 
I look at the world, not just even an organization, and I see the potential that we have as a human species, just, just where we could be if everyone reached and pushed to their own potential, whatever that is, whatever level that is. And then I see where we're currently at, and it's such a gap. And the gap is so vast that, I mean, it really, honestly, it's, it's what gets me up every day is to just do my part to try to help other people achieve their potential so that, you know, as, as a community, as a country, as a world, we can, we can start to close that gap and get a little closer to what I see as human potential. And that's, that's what really drives me every day. And I'm just lucky to be in a position to be able to have a few people that have trusted me to, to help them do that. Yeah, and I look forward to seeing the amazing work continue to grow from you and the impact that you're going to cause. So thanks again for being on the show. So I really appreciate it. And, and I always do this whenever I talk with somebody with your background. Thank you for your service to our country. I deeply, deeply appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. Hey, it's Michael again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're like many people, you're dealing with some significant stress and possibly approaching burnout. I know how you feel. In 2009, my burnout led to a year of worst-case scenarios. I do not want that to happen to you. If you go to breakfastleadership.com, you can register for a free webinar on burnout prevention, as well as get as a free checklist to have successful mornings. Start off each day the right way. Again, that's at breakfastleadership.com. Also, since you are a loyal podcast listener, I'm asking you to like, rate, and review my podcast on iTunes. I look at all the reviews and appreciate your comments, and it helps other potential listeners discover the content I have on the show. I appreciate you, and thanks again for listening.